0: Well, let's go ahead and grab your Bibles, phones, or you can use that insert in the middle of the book. there has the scripture that we're using this morning. We are in the book of Galatians, chapter 3. We're going to go verses 26, chapter 3, all the way to chapter 4, verse 7. And this is our sixth message in this series in the book of Galatians. That's what I'm starting out my first series here is Galatians, because I think Galatians is all about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's really center to everything that we believe in, do as a church and as Christians. And we've been looking at some of the implications that my series, I've kind of, uh, I don't know if it's funny or not, I think it's funny, called it uh, uh, 100% Pure, (laughs) sorry, 100% Pure Organic Non-GMO Good News. And that's what our series is, because we want to make sure, if, if we're going to care even a little bit about what we eat, Let's care even more about our spiritual food, the gospel. Let's get that right and perfect. Because it has such implications for our lives. And one of those things today is about our adoption, our welcoming into God's family as his children. And I think it's so special today that we're welcoming those 10 new members into our church family. But God wants us all in his family. And there's great blessings in that family. And I think every single one of us in our hearts, deep down, has a longing for family. And I believe that our biological families, as good as they are, as important as they are, and and we'll have messages to talk just about them in the future. But they pale in comparison to God's family that He has for us. I I think even our longing for family is pointing us to our longing for God's family. You know, I, I realized I had this longing for family because, well, I had grown up in Colorado Springs. And my wife, Melissa, grew up in Utah. And we both, when we went to college, we went to Colorado State. But even though Melissa was going to a new state, she had a brother that was also going to Colorado State. I had a brother going to Colorado State. So we really weren't too far from family. You know, even in college. And then we moved down to Denver, where I was in the school at Denver Seminary. And there, I was just an hour from my parents in Colorado Springs. So we were still close to family. It wasn't until I moved to Nebraska that I realized this longing for family. Sure, I had been homesick before at times. But being away from family, I really noticed it on weekends like this. On Memorial Days. And on 4th of July. Because the big holidays, we'd still get together. But for these smaller holidays, I really began to notice it. It was 4th of July on Memorial Day. Everybody was getting together with their big families in Nebraska. Their third and fifth cousin four times removed. They were all there. Huge. That's how it is. In small towns like that. And then Melissa and I were like, whoa. We we feel distant from our family. They're not here. It's just a minor holiday. Who cares about a barbecue on Memorial Day? But it just felt so distant. And I know some of you have felt that longing to be with family. Some of you here in Denver, a lot of you I've talked to, didn't grow up here in Denver. You've moved here, whether for a job or or for some other reason, maybe the weather. It's really good weather. For the mountains. You come here and and then you realize, oh, I'm far from family. And it's hard. It's a long and some of us come from great families. We, we love our families. Some of us have huge families. Some of us maybe the only child. And so we have smaller families. But, and some of us have maybe not so great families that we don't really want to see very often. And yet we still have a longing for family. I think every single human being, whether they have a great family or a terrible family, wants to be part of a true family? And that true family that we're longing for, I think, can only be found in the family of God. So, in our passage today, we're going to start in verse 26. And I just want to read that verse real quick. If you're following along with me, it says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. I just want to stop right there. Children of God through faith. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to be His children. To love us, to adopt us, and welcome us as His own. So I'm going to start out with my big idea. I know some weeks I wait until the end of the message to make sure you guys are following along. But I'm going to start it out today with my big idea. And then... I a few issues with this. Sorry about that. Um, so we're going to start out with the big idea today, and it's very simple. It's that I want you to grow up and be a child of God. I want you to grow up and be a child in God's family. Very simple. My whole message is going to be talking about this one idea and about the implications for how you become a child of God, what it looks like to become a child of God, and what the benefits are of being part of this family, because it's way better than our biological families. I want you to grow up and be a child of God. And I start out by saying grow up, because like we talked about last week and we've talked about for a while, that uh, God's family isn't about the rules you follow. It's not. In fact, last week we had a showdown, didn't we? Between gospel and religion. And who won? Gospel. The gospel trumps religion. is greater than religion every time. Because religion is all about do this and good things will happen to you. Do do bad things and bad things will happen to you, right? That's what every religion in the world is about except for Christianity. Christianity is the gospel that says even if you do bad and you believe in Jesus Christ, put your faith in him, you can't be forgiven. You can be welcomed in and accepted. So so that's what the gospel is. So I want you to grow up. I want you to leave religion behind. That's in the past now. Trying to follow the laws in the past. Now we're going to grow up into the family of God. So it's kind of confusing because the way to maturity as a Christian is through childlikeness. It it seems kind of uh, strange, kind of bizarre that that's the way it is, but it is. It's true. And, And we know this in other aspects of our life. If you want to really gain knowledge, what they say is that you need to admit that you don't know. It's to say, I don't know, and then you can figure out the truth. A really good coach in sports is going to break you down and make you go back to the basics and get those right before you advance. So it's the same way in our faith. If we want to grow into this family of God, we've got to grow up. And it's through becoming a child. So grow up into being a child. Jesus said something along these same lines in Matthew 18 verse 3. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You must become like a child to mature in the Christian faith. We talked about, we had a whole message on this concept of justification. You remember that? Justification, an easy way to remember it is just as if I'd never sinned. But the real meaning of it, uh, the fuller meaning, is that, that God says if you believe in Him, you are declared right with Him. You're forgiven, you're right with God. You have this acceptance by Him. So now we're talking about another aspect of the gospel, another aspect of our salvation. There's justification, we are declared right with God. But this second aspect that we're talking about today is about our adoption. Joe Hellerman, one theologian, writes that we are justified. And then, familified, familified, adopted into God's family. So I want you to know that this adoption is part of our salvation. Justified and declared right, we're accepted by Him. And then we become a child, which transforms our lives moving forward. So I want you to be humble enough today to say, I'm willing to become a child. I'm willing to become a child. Because as we're going to see, there's so many benefits to being a child of God. So i got five points for you today from this section. About what it means to be a child in God's family. So, the first one, if you're following along in it. the first one is that God's family is determined by belief, not biology. God's family is determined by belief, not biology. You see this in that verse we just read in verse 26. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through what? Faith. It's through believing in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him that you are accepted and welcomed into his family. It's not by something you do, it's by believing in him and accepting his gift. In John chapter 1, we read that, but to all who did accept him and believe in him, he gave the right to become children of God. They did not become his children in any human way. By any human parents or human desire, they were born of God. When we talk about being born again. It's not enough to be born once So this is really important I, I talked with one young lady in our church Who had been adopted by her mom And she said, you know, as a Christian now I've been adopted twice I love that mindset, I thought that was so cool Because that's the truth We're all adopted into God's family We're having to be born again into that It's not a biological thing What, what this means significantly for us Is that those of us who aren't Jewish And I'm not This is really good news because up until the time of Jesus, God's people, his family, were only the Jews. The Jewish people, the Israelites, those who God had chosen through Abraham's line. They were the ones who were accepted in his family. But through Jesus Christ, it's only through belief, not biology, that we get to welcome to the family. So we should be thankful for that. Here's the second thing. Those of you who didn't grow up with Christian parents should be very grateful there's a a sad tendency in our country to think just because you had Christian parents that you're a Christian. It's not true. It's not determined by biology. It's by belief. So those of us who weren't raised Christians say, I don't have that background. My parents didn't take me to church. I didn't learn the truths of the Bible in youth group like we do uh, with Bill Carson on Wednesday nights in turbulence. You're saying, I didn't learn all that stuff as a kid. That's okay, because being a child of God is not by biology. It's by belief. This also has an impact for those of us who are parents. Because just because you bring your kids to church, just because you are a Christian and a believer, that doesn't mean your children will be part of the family of God. This is a scary thing, but it's also an important thing for us to keep in mind. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. Everyone must be born again as their own child, through belief. So parents, we've got to pray for our kids we got to love them. We've got to teach them the gospel. We've got to do whatever we can so that they can know how good God is so that they too will believe. And then they too can become children of God. So the first point, like we saw, is that becoming a child of God is through belief, not biology. But there's a second point. God's family welcomes us in by baptism. Let's keep reading in verse 27. So, you are all children of God through faith. Verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. The entrance into the family of God is through baptism. This doesn't mean if you're not baptized, you're not saved. It doesn't mean that. But this is the symbol that God has chosen. The ritual God has said, hey, if you do this, this is what it means to be a child of God. When Jesus said, go and make disciples in his great commission, one of the things he said to do with them is to baptize them. Because that welcomes them in. It's a big celebration. It's a party. It's a big party. You know, my younger brother, Zach, who I'm sure you guys will have a chance to meet someday, um, we adopted him into our family. And Zach had grown up, and he had actually been in and out of the foster care system. And finally, we came into our family as a foster kid, and then my family adopted him. And I remember when he was eight years old, and I was just a couple years older than him, we went... To a um, ceremony to adopt. And I have a picture of this year. I had to find it. And Zach's the one sitting in the judge's chair. And if you're wondering, that good looking stud with the bowl cut and glasses <laughs> is me. I asked my mom for this picture and I was like, whoa, what is that thing on my head? And I look like Harry Potter before there was Harry Potter, okay? He still looked for me. I want you to know that. But okay, so, so here's my family And we were all with the judge here in Denver uh, Adopting my younger brother Zach into our family This was a big ceremony to make it official, right? He had already been living with our family for two years But this was the official thing, recognizing that It's official, right? In our faith the, the Kind of the official, the outward showing of the inward faith that you have Is through baptism And that's what we practice here In fact, we talked about it at our membership class last last week, is that membership, uh, to become a member here, you have to be baptized by immersion, meaning you have to make the choice to be baptized. Some people kind of get stuck up on that because they came up in a tradition where they baptized infants, but we say, hey, no. If, if, If it's by belief and not biology, you've got to make the choice, not your parents. So if you have questions about that, talk with me, or you can come to our next SFC 101. But that's an important thing for us because that's how we welcome people into God's family um, and if you are interested in membership or interested in being baptized because you're saying hey I do believe but I've never done that outward show of faith in our connection cards on the right side of the bulletin you can tear that off and make sure that you mark that you want to be baptized or become a member and put it in the boxes on your way out okay <laughs> because we want to welcome more people into God's family so so Bible, at not baptism, that we become children of God. It's through baptism that we're welcomed in. And the third thing that we learn from this passage is that God's family has no dividing lines. There are no dividing lines in God's family. This is really significant. Let me point this out in verse 28. Paul writes, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now this doesn't say we all become an amorphous blob. No, we're still going to retain our individuality, whether it's our ethnicity or our uh, socioeconomic status or our status in the eyes of the law or even our gender. We keep those things. But in the family of God, there are no things that divide us. There are no things that divide us. we all become one. Everyone, through faith, can become a child of God. This is so important. You know, I was looking at at a map of of Denver, especially our section... Your Stapleton, and Aurora, and how all these things fit together. And if you look, you can look at the demographics, and especially along the lines of race, there are very clear dividing lines. We can acknowledge it. There are very clear dividing lines. Whether it's to our north, there's one section. To our south, is another. To our west, is another. There are dividing lines in our city, but not here in this church. In our church, we are all welcome in. This is so important. It says neither Jew nor Greek. This means ethnicity has nothing to do with the fact that we are all children of God. Ethnicity doesn't matter. Religious background doesn't matter. It says there's neither slave nor free. So, so this was in the eyes of the law, but this was also a socioeconomic thing in the first century. If you were a slave, it was probably because you didn't have enough money. So you got into debt, and in order to pay off your debt, you sold yourself into slavery for a certain amount of years. So these were the poorest of the poor, the people that were slaves. What was interesting in the first century, a lot of slaves actually worked as even if there were slaves in the Senate. So there were senators who were slaves, but it was because of their socioeconomic status they had to sell themselves. It's a little different than American slavery in our past. But what this is pointing out is that it doesn't matter your socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. We are all welcomed into God's family. The third thing, There's neither male nor female. And a lot of people think that Christianity is repressive. And they've looked at Christian history and they say, Christians have repressed women. But what this is saying is that they're one. They're equal in God's eyes. This is so significant because Christianity actually was revolutionary when it came to gender. In the first century, to say something like this was unheard of. Jesus had women that could learn from him. He he took them along as his disciples. He taught them. This did not happen in the first century. But in Christianity, there are no dividing lines. There are no dividing lines. So this is so important in our church. This is so important in our church that we need to make sure that we welcome everyone. Whether they look different from us, whether they come from a different background, whether their clothes are not as nice as ours, we need to welcome everyone. Love them. Because maybe God is welcoming them into His family. Maybe they already are a child of God. We need to love And I do love that this church has people of different race, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. And I think we need to embrace that even more than we have already. I love that about this church. It's one thing that really excited me about coming here. But we we can step it up, can't we? We can welcome people even more than we have, right? All ethnicities, whether they have a different language, let's love them, let's welcome them, because they can be children of God, just like us. There are no dividing lines in our faith. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that it is one of the tragedies, one of the shameful tragedies, that 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hours in America. It's sad, and, and it's gotten a little bit better since his time, if you look at the statistics, but there's still a long ways to go in our country. There's still a long ways to go. There's a lot of things that have divided us in our country's past. And we need to reconcile those differences. Do whatever we can. Because there are no dividing lines in the family of God. So we've talked now about how to enter God's family. It's through belief, not biology. And through that, there's this ceremony, this outward thing called baptism. And there's no dividing lines. So we look at the makeup of the family. But what's even cooler as we move on in this passage is that we see that there are great benefits to becoming a child of God. And this this next one, this fourth point, is that God's family lavishes in inheritance on us. He lavishes this great, amazing, bountiful inheritance and gives it to us. In verse 29 it says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. This means that the promise to Abraham and to the Jews and to Israel are now given to people who believe in Jesus Christ. We have this inheritance in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So he's using this metaphor in, in their day that if you were a child, if you were underage, you literally were like a slave because you didn't own anything. Technically you did, but you couldn't actually spend money. You didn't have control over the property. Your parents did. Or if your parents had died, there was a guardian that was put over you. So you couldn't spend your money without their permission. So he's saying that that, that's what it was like before we grew up. And now we've grown up past the law to become children of God. That's kind of where my big idea comes from. We need to grow up to be a child of God's family. So we're leaving that behind. And now we've grown up and we've received the inheritance. We now have full ownership of it. It's not something that we're going to be waiting for. It's something that's already ours, the inheritance. I just want you to imagine the cool scenario of getting that phone call from a lawyer saying that your long-lost uncle had left you a mansion, had left you a fortune. There's $3 million waiting for you in a bank account. There's a Maserati. There's a mansion for you. All that's just waiting for you. It's inheritance. It's there for you. Will you accept it? What would you do? I'm going accept it. When we become a child of God, there's an inheritance waiting for us. Now, some of those things we experience now, but some of them we're looking forward to in the future, but it's all ours right now if we're a child of God. If we're a child of God. It's all ours. This means that the joy of God, this happiness that transcends situations, can be ours right now. This means that the peace of God, And even in the most stressful, terrorizing situations, we can have a peace. That's ours right now. This means that we have a family that we can be a part of right now. Brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, children, that are all part of our family, even if we come from a terrible family. We have a better family now. We also have riches in heaven. We have riches, and and we might not be rich here in this life, but we have great, abundant riches waiting for us. A place in the Father's house, made up for us. Jesus said, hey, I went there and prepared a place for you. That's all ours. Our inheritance, this bountiful inheritance, has been lavished on us already. So we need to receive it and look forward to it. Right now we can be living in eternal life. Right now we can have that. And we look forward to the fullness of that coming. But there's a fifth thing in this passage that we learn. Another benefit of being a child of God verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul writes, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also. Amen. So in verse 6 he said, he sent his spirit into our hearts. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that we have this Holy Spirit living in us. But one of the great benefits of this Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, living in us, is that we can call out to Abba, Father. Now, Abba was Aramaic, for Dad. This is the language that Jesus probably used when he addressed his father. One time we know for sure, but a lot of the, the New Testament was translated to Greek, so probably when God taught his disciples, you know, the Lord's Prayer, our Heavenly Father, I think he was using this term, Abba, because it was way more intimate than Father if you hear people pray today and they're like Heavenly Father great thou art up there it feels like God is so distant it's this formal relationship but that's not what it's supposed to be we're supposed to be able to cry out Abba Daddy so that's why our fifth uh, point here is that God's family gives us a new relationship with Dad there's this brand new relationship we're a child God's our dad now that's a weird thing to say it's a weird thing to call dad, or father, dad, right? It's just a weird thing. And I want to challenge you to try this. The next prayer you say, start out instead of Heavenly Father, great Lord Almighty. Start out by just saying, Dad, Dad, I want to talk. Because you have this new relationship with him as a child. It's so intimate and it's so amazing. This is what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. The one instance we have that for sure he said this was the night before he died. In the garden, he was praying for God to help him. And he said, Abba, Father, you can do all things in Mark fourteen thirty six, Take away this cup of suffering, but do what you want, not what I want. So there's this intimate prayer that Jesus has with his Father in heaven. He says, Abba, Dad, help. I need help. He was crying. There was blood coming out of his tears because he cried so hard. And he was calling Father in Heaven, Dad. And we have that same relationship with our Dad in Heaven. This is amazing. And this is so impactful for how we pray and how we live our lives. I heard a story um, about a, a child and... He, he was with a friend, and the, the two of them were... were he, the, the friend said, hey, we got to go. Uh, I need something. So he was taking his friend into the courthouse. And his friend was like, what, what's going on? Where are we going? And he took him down a hall and passed, you know, the bailiff. What's going on? Why, why are we here? Uh, we can't be in here. We're, we're just kids. And then and the kid walked into the door, walked into the judge's chamber, and said, Dad, I need 20 bucks. <laughs> And the friend was shocked, like, how can you ask a judge to do this? But why could he do that? Because the judge was his dad. Most of us would be terrified to go into the judge's chamber. <laughs> and most of us who have, those of you who had to do that, yeah, you know that uh, it's scary. But if we're the child of the judge, we can ask him anything. Tim Keller said this in a similar way. He said, the only person, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. We have that kind of access to God. He's our dad. Dad needs a So this means we can talk with him. We have this relationship. Anytime. We can call him up and say, Hey, I need some help. So I want to challenge you to try that in your relationship with God. Call him dad. Address him that way. In Hebrews 4.16, we read that, So let us come boldly, boldly to the throne of God of the gracious God, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We can be bold before God. He's our dad. We can ask him for things that we wouldn't ask anyone else for. We have a great, new, powerful relationship with him. Now I want to look back in in verse 4 because the only reason why we can enter in God's family is because of the gospel. Did you catch it when I read it in verses 4 and 5? It said, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, meaning He was just like us, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption of sonship. It's because Jesus came, and He left His family. He was far away, and He had a longing to be back with His family in heaven. He left them. He emptied Himself, and became just like us. And then when he went on the cross and died, he was separated from his family. He was forsaken. He was killed outside of the city, all so that we could receive that adoption. He was separated so we could be connected. He was outcast so we could be welcomed. It's through the gospel that we have access to this new family, that we can be welcomed in. I heard a story from Timothy Paul Jones... In his book uh, called Proof, and he talks about his middle daughter, who his family adopted. And that daughter had actually been adopted by another family before this. And for two years, she lived with the family, and it didn't work, so they dissolved the adoption. It's just sad that that can happen. So this this girl comes, the family hurt. She came in from a very broken background, didn't have a good relationship with her family. And when she came into the family, they they tried to welcome her in, but it was difficult. So Timothy uh, talks about how when when he talked to his daughter, he found out that one of the things that had happened in her last home was that the whole family would go on a trip to Disney World. She wasn't allowed to go. They would leave her with some friends to be watched. And this girl, being a young child, didn't understand what was going on, so she assumed it was because she was not good enough. That she had messed up. So, when, when Timothy heard about this, he, he talked with her and he said, well, we better take you to Disney World. So he was planning on his next business trip to Orlando. He was going to bring the whole family down with him, and they would go to Disney World. Well, what happened was, uh, the few weeks leading up to this trip, she started to misbehave really badly. Anything she could do wrong, she was doing wrong. She w- wasn't hungry. But she would steal food. She would lie about things whenever she could. She would insult her sisters. She was terrible and rebelled and and was just so disobedient. And Timothy Jones talks about how he didn't understand what was going on. And one night he sat her down on his lap and and was talking to her about the consequences for her action. And she said, oh, I know what's going to happen. You're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? Because of her disobedience. That she wasn't good enough. And he was at that time going to talk to her and he thought even then he had this glimmer, oh, I could, could use fear to motivate her to become a better child, right? But he didn't. He said, no matter what you do, you're part of our family. And our family is going to do something. So he said that for the next few days, he thought her behavior would get better, but it didn't. It got worse. And on the trip down as they were driving to Florida at every hotel and at every rest stop, she misbehaved as much as she could. But you know what? She got to go to Disney World anyways. And that night, Timothy Jones sat down and he took her on his lap and said, well, what'd you think? And she she kind of closed her eyes for a while and snuggled with him. And her, her demeanor had completely changed. And she said this to him, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. She understood that the grace of God through the gospel welcomed her to that family. And that's such an illustration for us. We are welcomed. We're adopted in family. No matter what terrible family we come from in our background, even if they have rejected us, Jesus was rejected so we would never be. And through believing in him, we can be welcomed into his family. So grow up and be a child of God. I'm going to invite uh, Chris and the band up, and they're going to lead us one last song, Good, Good Father. Let's pray. Um, God, you are our good, good father. And if we just believe in you, we can be welcomed into that family. So for the person who's here this morning, and they're saying, I I don't know if I'm in that that family yet. I don't know if I'm a child of God. Lord, would you welcome me in this...